0: Aloha from Waikiki. I am currently recording on a makeshift standing desk attached to the top of a fridge in a microwave on the Hawaiian island of Oahu. Now, there's an active volcano not very far away and the world's loudest bin men outside as well. So if you hear some explosions, do not fret. It will just be the end of the world or the bins being collected. Now, before I forget... The Modern Wisdom YouTube channel is live. Very happy to say that we've nearly hit one million watch minutes within the space of the first month. It's absolutely crazy. The response to the Love Island podcast has been insane. Shout out to the British press for both promoting and misrepresenting what I said, but all exposure is good exposure as far as I'm concerned. The Love Island podcast is... It's still not available on audio only, so if you want to check that out, you're gonna have to head to the YouTube channel. Please hit subscribe, as it would make me very happy. Coming up soon, I have the long-awaited sequel to Jordan Wallace, Paul Warrior and Tim Briggs from Reebok CrossFit Tyneside, We Dominate Nutrition and Warrior Programming, plus the world's only happyologist, (laughs) positive psychology expert, Susanna Hallinan, will be dropping in to talk about happiness and her new book. But first, on to this week's guest. Warren Cass is an author, public speaker, businessman, entrepreneur, and a specialist in influence and personal brand development. I've wanted to get him on the podcast for well over a year now. From before I even started, I knew that I wanted to get him on. I picked up his book, Influence, which will be linked in the show notes below along with all of the partner companion stuff that he gives away for free on his website. I think to one degree or another, everybody requires influence in their lives. They need to be able to control how their personal brand comes across and they need to be able to communicate effectively. Now this isn't just about being a go get a chasing after the next big job or whatever it might be, this could just be being a better partner, being a better parent, being a better whatever. You need to be able to communicate effectively. You need to be able to control how your personal brand is projected out into the world. What is the sort of example that you are setting? What are the sort of things that other people professionally, personally say about you when you're not around. What is the kind of influence that you are having on your circles? Now, Warren takes us through a step-by-step personal brand and influence MOT. If you are someone who wants to improve their ability to communicate online or in person, their access to networks, their ability to influence others in a positive way, If you've always wanted to understand how neuro-linguistic programming works, even if you've always wanted to know what people's eyes looking in different directions during a conversation means, we go through it all. All right, quick maths. The less that your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have, the more money that you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution and borrowing, thousand companies have already made the move. So do the maths and see how you will profit with NetSuite. Back by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com modern right now. That's netsuite.com modern. So get your pen and paper out. Make sure that you're ready. Here we go. Warren Cass on Influence. Mr. Warren Cass, welcome to Modern Wisdom. Thank you for having
1: me, Chris. Great to be here.
0: How are you today?
1: Bloody marvellous, you know. I've had a really, really busy month. I've got a couple of days in the office, which just you know catching up time. So
0: yeah, really good. Thank you. Fantastic. A little bit of time to reset. Yeah, you need it every now and then, don't you? Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's been a it's been a difficulty in getting a hold of you, but I think that's that's a test testament to uh, how much you're in demand at the moment. Speaking about the topics that you do.
1: Yeah, it's very flattering. Um, but you know, obviously, we're here to talk about influence today. And, and as somebody like yourself who who builds a personal brand, you know, the bigger the brand gets, the more in demand you get, and uh, it's all good.
0: Yeah, it becomes a bit circular, doesn't it? So you've you've touched on the word of the day there. Can you can you define what influence means to you?
1: Yeah, in very very simple terms, it's a broad topic, but in very simple terms, for me, it's about affecting an outcome without having to force it. Without having to force it also means, of course, without having to manipulate. Yeah. You know, we we live in a world where we're bombarded every single day with so many messages, and uh, some of it is misinformation and some of it is manipulation. Uh, but coming back to my definition of influence, influence is really when uh, you can uh, you can forward an idea or agenda without having to force it with people coming along because they want to, they've been inspired to. That's, that's how I like to define influence.
0: I understand. So I, I picked up Influence, the book around about a year ago, and was on a flight out to America, wanted to get something that I could read on the way out. And it immediately uh, stood out to me, exactly as you said, we increasingly now in the modern world, almost everybody to one degree or another is building a personal brand. You know, the advent of social media means that everyone treats their Instagram or Twitter account to varying degrees of professionality, like a traditional advertising medium it's advertising for themselves and whatever the goal is can change but i do think that the the hype to a degree about someone's own life gets proliferated by them and upon reading it there was a few bits which the event managers who work for my company will hate hearing uh, over the, over the airwaves as i won't shut up about it in the office sometimes but <laughs> serendipity is not a strategy for me just sits it completely chopped at the knees so many of the um fortunate situations that you get into and you can sometimes kid yourself have come about due to some uh, preparedness that you deep down know that you didn't do or some some connection which was done by pure chance the serendipity is not a strategy can be um, should be written on the wall at some points. I think it it reminds me that we need to be prepared and that we we need to cover all of the the potential um, avenues moving forward as we try to create a personal brand. So can you can you tell us why you wrote the book?
1: Yeah, I'll start by apologising to your colleagues though if, <laughs> if you're if you're quoting me all the yeah, time. The
0: Warren Cass rhetoric gets pushed hard in the Voodoo Events office. I'm afraid.
1: And you know what? The uh, serendipity has been really, really kind to me. It, uh, it has. I can't complain at all. But I've always had the best results when I've done things on purpose, <laughs> uh, on and with purpose. I might say. So uh, yeah, I totally, I totally agree. Um, why did I write the book? Well, well, first of all, I've been speaking on the subject for uh, well over a decade, and uh, I wrote the book initially because I had two publishers come to me and say, "Would you write a book?" And uh, and I thought, oh, okay, I've always avoided this in the past because I've got a, I'm you know a big listener to podcasts. I subscribe to yours, uh, amongst others, and uh, and knowledge, you know, is is a really important thing. I think every day is a school day, so it's important to continuously learn. Mm. Um, but I do think about most business books is that they're typically written by academics who decide to uh, give too many examples where one or two would have done, um, and I. I believe also most business books can be summarized in, you know, a a few pages rather than necessarily needing to take everything on. And I was really trying to think hard about what am I going to add value to this topic in a book format, bearing in mind there are some classic books on this subject out there. And uh, I mean, for example, you know, uh, in our pre-chat, you were talking about Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, probably the oldest and biggest selling book on that topic. Yeah, but it was written in 19 in the 1930s. <laughs> um, you know, you've got the Psychology of Persuasion by Cialdini, a brilliant book written in the 1980s. And he has done some work since That, But there was a gap you know and what's happened is we've had this explosion of population uh, of technology uh, since then and it's fundamentally changed everything that we do um it's changed the way we communicate it's the change way we access products and services it's changed the way we consume and so the, the world has changed and we you know for me it was a it was the thing i've been evangelizing on stage about and i thought you know <laughs> what this is the angle i'm going to take this is this is the way i'm going to write the book to so bring bring those, bring those bring
0: those things up to speed, so to speak. Um, absolutely, well, take think, all of
1: those proved to tried and tested concepts, but actually uh, make them relatable to a whole new generation
0: a, of applicable to the the changed world as well. I think definitely when you if you read David Allen's Getting Things Done, it it almost becomes laborious to convert. So he talks about like using filofaxes and pages and. You know, like in trays and out trays and stuff like that. And you think that I've actually got to do a fair bit of the work. This self help book requires me to do quite a lot of self help to get the book to work for me because it's so behind the times with what it would be. It would be an app now. It would be a, it would be a, a integration like Evernote or something like that. It would be productivity tools and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, you, you, you're very right. I think as the rate of change speeds up in the world, the body of knowledge around core concepts needs to keep up. 100%.
1: Or at least it's application. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I agree. So can you talk about why influence is important? Does, does everybody have it?
1: Uh, n- knowingly or unknowingly, uh, yeah, the vast majority of us have it um, and should be aware of it if we if we want things to happen in our lives. You know, that's uh, the, the simple fact of it. Um I often start my talks with, with uh, you know, defining the fact that we're all influenced every single day from the moment we get up in the morning. Our partner's expression or the mood they're in mm-hmm. can dictate our day. <laughs> yeah. The micro expression of somebody on your commute to work, whether it's a tube train or car, um, can dictate your mood for the day it's been absolutely proven that um, because we're such empathetic creatures, if we witness an act of kindness for the two act- hours that follow, we are more kind, you know, so we, we are sponges and we absorb and that's just the human interactions. When you start factoring marketing messaging and uh, media, um, you've got a, a whole different layer of influence there too. Mm. So the, the bit I maintain is that, um, that if you understand how, you're received when you talk when you communicate. If you understand how that comes across to others, you've got a better chance of uh, being more effective in that communication. If you understand how you you receive information and how other people uh, influence you, you've got a a better chance of, of having better responses to that influence. You know, so ultimately, if you're an ambitious person, you want to evolve your career, or, or even if you just want to improve your relationship with your wife, husband, children, colleagues, friends, understanding influence is uh, is in your best interest.
0: So it's, it's giving you some perspective of what you're receiving and what you're sending to a degree.
1: Yeah. And, you know, all communication really should start with an awareness of, of of how it's being said what what's being said because we communicate on so many different levels don't we so uh, just in just increasing your awareness will make you more effective straight away
0: where do you tend to start with people if you were to do a um an influence overhaul if you were to take me in for an influence MOT where would you uh, where would you start
1: well having, <laughs> having seen your profile Chris you're not doing too bad my friend okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. It really starts with finding out objectives. Uh, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't dream to think that everybody wants the same thing. So, uh, you know, the very first thing I'd do is is try and understand their what and their why you know, mm-hmm. what is it they want to do? What is it they want to be known for? And why is that important to them? Why is why is that uh, something that's going to inspire and motivate others if that's if that's the uh, the way they're going to come about it. So that would be absolutely the first step is just to understand people's objectives. Without that, you can't put any, any real strategy into place.
0: If you, uh, don't, if you me- don't have a target to aim at, you'll always miss, right? Th-
1: that, that's the that's the point. Uh, if you're if if you're coming at this from uh, with with an outcome in mind, but of course some people just want to be nicer and more effective in their communication. There might not be an objective. You yep. could be retired and want to communicate better. Mm. That's fine. Um, but if if the the premise you gave me was an overhaul, so coming in and maybe working with somebody, I'd be first looking to understand what it is they're uh, they're looking to do, and the reason, of course, for that is that. Uh, once you understand your marketplace, who you're looking to get out there, and um, you then need to identify your audience, where they play, the type of information they consume, uh, the type of people that are already influencing them. So, who are the potential collaborators and uh, people that you might be able to take advantage of? Some of the principles I talk about in the book, like credibility by association. Yes. So there's there's a whole load of load of things that you might want to do um, once you're clear on why you want to do it.
0: So we've established people's why. We've started yep. to understand their objectives and what they want to do moving forward. I think that is, a, that is a massive stumbling block, especially one of the biggest routes to procrastination is perfectionism. It sounds, it sounds quite strange and quite circular, but it, it genuinely is that waiting until you have everything in place or everything feels perfect is a, a really good excuse for procrastinating on getting, start, getting started on a project. Um, and of
1: course, that can have a negative impact on influence as well. And I'm talking from personal experience here. Um, my my reason for procrastination uh, is very, very aligned with what you just said. It's, uh, it's mainly because I like to do the job myself because I know I, I'll do it the way I want it done. You'll get
0: it done right. Yeah, if you want yeah. a job doing right.
1: Of course. But then if, what happens is work and life and everything else gets in the way and you're suddenly overwhelmed with jobs and you don't get around to it. And of course having somebody else do it 80% to the standard that you would have done it is better than not getting done at all. So I there's, know, exactly. you know, there's a whole lot of things around that.
0: But. Agreed. Yeah. You need to, <laughs> I think, I think, especially in business, doubling down on your strengths. i said this in uh, episode eight with Michael Casu, who's the CEO of brute strength training. And he said himself his route to becoming one of the biggest CrossFit programming operations in the world was by doubling down on his strengths and employing people who could fill in where he's, Uh, less capable or less passionate and I think uh, I think being a jack-of-all-trades is is really no use to anybody in in a business context so you've got me in we've we've had a look at at my objectives we've got around the fact that I'm a perfectionist and that I just need to I need to get moving where do you go next
1: so from an influence strategy point of view uh the first thing I would do is sit down and based on what you've told me, identify, identify your audience. And uh, a lot of, a lot of people forget this, but you know, I mean, that that's, um, that's a a bit more complex than, uh, than we think because, you know, we're, we're living in times where there are five different generations in the workplace, all with this, and that's never, never been the case before. So we've got five different generations in the workplace, all with different unique experiences. And, uh, so uh, identifying your, your audience is important because we're, we're uh, more multicultural than we've ever been before. We're generationally divided um, and we've never been before. And that, that affects all sorts of things like attitudes. I mean, let me give you some examples of why identifying your audience properly is important. Definitely. And I'm going to make one point at the end of it. But, uh, but I'll, I, I'm sure, like me, you are tired of uh, the term millennial. <laughs> yeah well i think everybody's sick to death of the term millennial but but i do think it's important for older generations to understand what makes millennials tick i think it's equally important for millennials to try and understand why we have we and i'm i'm not a millennial uh, why we have a different perspective too and this this comes down to um our our experiences so a couple of a couple of quick stats to throw out at you um the average age for marriage mortgage and kids in the 70s was 23 years old and today that's more like 36 years old wow. um, so there's a load of changes so what, what you're of- saying
0: is that I've actually still got time and that my business partner can stop applying pressure to me
1: of course absolutely that's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying <laughs> and and some of those reasons by the way will be financial and you know and because uh, actually uh, we have more ex- we we're, we're, we're more experiential now. um so we have uh, the world is our lobster, Rodney, you know, we can go anywhere, we can we can do a, uh, anything we want to do. So we tend to uh, put off some of the uh, other bigger decisions, because while we're young, we want to have those experiences. That's one um, student debt is another, you know, there's a load of reasons why those things happen. And um, so that's, that's just marriage, mortgage, and kids. Um, beyond that uh, work. So in the US, only 7% of millennials work for Fortune 500 companies. Um, And that's mainly because uh, millennials who are of of an age ready to work um, want to be inspired by what they do. So they either start their own businesses where they're connected to their why, or they go and work for smaller organizations where they're working directly with the entrepreneur behind the business so they can feel like they're making a difference. So that's that's important to a generation. and then you know you look into things like uh, politics, and we we live in an age of great misinformation, yeah. where uh, where you know we're di- we're as as divided as we've ever been. Uh, when, and you know there's a whole load of reasons for that, and we can go into that if you want to, or we can avoid it like the plague. Uh, I'm, I'm
0: happy to so gotta... open up whatever whatever Pandora's box we go into <laughs> today is absolutely fine, Warren.
1: No problem. So, you, you know, the, the thing about uh, mis- an age of mis- misinformation is it makes actually all of us that little bit more sceptical. Um, so, you know, when we're told things, our fin- first instincts now should be to not believe it until we've actually seen evidence or facts or something to support it. Um, you know, social media absolutely dominates uh, what we do. It's democratised, you know, conversations, really. And it's and it's made uh, every every opinion have its microphone you know um so we have to be careful of, of what we take in and believe and consumerism has changed you know again millennials uh, and in fact just coming to this point you know the, the term millennial is quite often accepted anybody after 1980 so it's 38 years and younger at the time of recording this yeah. and uh, the other thing that's happened since 1980 is the world population has doubled so we're now over 7 billion people on the planet, and that's doubled in the last 38 years, which actually should scare the shit out of anybody
0: listening.
1: <laughs> it really, really should. But that means half the world population are All in millenni- this. Battle.
0: Millennials, are, yeah.
1: Or millennials, yeah. And so it's now the most uh, dominant consumer group online, you know, from a consumer, uh, consumerism point of view, uh, less brand loyal. You know, if, if a brand they were using every single day disappears tomorrow, that's fine. They'll move on to the next one, but it'd be largely based on things like social proof. So your reputation matters. And, um, you know, that's why we we uh, we read the reviews on Google, on Amazon, on TripAdvisor, um, profile um, testimonials on LinkedIn, etc. You know, we're interested in this stuff because we want social proof. We want to make the best decision based on what our peers recommend. It's you know, it's, it's the way it works. So we've got all of that going on. And then we've got um, diversity with multiculturalism, you know, even, even faith is changing. You know, in the UK, we're becoming more and more atheist. In some European countries, it's almost totally atheist. Yeah. And e- even in the US now, I think I read somewhere earlier this year that um, you it's less than 50% now that class themselves as white Christian in the US, which is, you know, it was It it was, it was never that, Uh, it was always such a dominant demographic. Absolutely. So the big point I kind of want to make uh, with this little uh, talk around millennials and diversity is that um, if you're talking to multiple demographics, if you're marketing to multiple demographics, but only using one tone of voice with your communication, the harsh reality is you're not speaking to everyone. So if we want to be able to reach different audiences and talk to different demographics we have to understand personalize and you know and produce content and add value in in the way that's meaningful to the people you're trying to talk to and so many big brands are still talking with one tone of voice I find it utterly surprising you know we uh, technology enables us to personalize I've got one one um, uh, friend who I who shall re- remain nameless but yeah. um he has a, a business operating from London. And he works in a, a particular niche. But he identified within his database uh, recently that uh, the database had grown quite large, and that there were something like 400 johns for, for argument's sake on a name. Oh, wow. So he, he took a whiteboard and he wrote on, on, on video, and he wrote, Hi, john. And then he said, Hi, john, just wanted to tell you about and then went on to speak uh, to that particular audience. Now, every single john who received that, believed that was written just for them uh, and tried to figure out uh, but they watched the video and maybe bought the product yeah uh he then moved on to the next biggest name on his list which was you know whatever it was and yeah. then went and produced something for them so he what he identified was you know by just re-recording that one video a number of times he still had quite a quite a big reach but a much bigger um a much bigger conversion rate the sense uh, of
0: when, the sense of affinity was was uh through the roof, right?
1: Absolutely. It was personalized.
0: So you need to gear the message to the market, I think. So
1: so understand your audience is the is the, you're asking the step. We're in this consultative stage. We've come in, we've found out your what and your why. Understand your audience. Or your audience is. It could be plural. It could be, you know, more than one niche you're looking to operate in. So mm. understanding that is the first thing. And then absolutely understanding where they play.
0: So does that mean in terms of uh, media,
1: media consumption, yeah. events they might attend, uh, uh, avenues, magazines. avenues of access, I suppose. absolutely, yeah, points, points to to connect.
0: Yep. Okay. So, so that
1: would that would be the that would be the next step. The next step after that, I would then be looking at all of the people who already have influence over that audience. And I'd be very simply making friends, maybe asking them to guest post on a blog, maybe interviewing them for a podcast, yeah. <laughs> you know, re- reaching out to, to uh, other influencers. First of all, it's flattering. They're going to get some profile. It's a win-win there. Um, they're going to let their audience listen to or read your content. So you get the credibility by association thing that comes. And then what, what you're doing is you're slowly building your audience and building your influence uh, towards that audience. Because the, the key, the only real thing I think uh, nowadays um, is of long-term strategy when it comes to um, building influence is to actually genuinely try and add value
0: I to agree the more. audience
1: you serve. Um, and that could be from great content, but you really genuinely have to try and add value to the audience you serve.
0: Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I was, I've got a, uh, an upcoming live stream that I'm going to do on Instagram. Maybe tomorrow when I'm driving, I'm going down to Shropshire tomorrow. And, um, it's talking about people who have a massive platform online and are choosing to use it for reasons which add absolutely zero value as far as I can see. And the analogy that I'm going to draw is that in the same way as a strong person needs to protect the weak because it's a duty they have a particular skill or a particular um uh they have a particular attribute which is a travesty to not use when it's called upon if you have a platform and if you are looked up to and if you are held in a position of credibility which is increasingly being bestowed on people who probably don't deserve it and you're not using it to add value and to make people's lives better as far as i'm concerned it's a it's a of a catastrophe and it's a real wasted resource and it shows just how little you do care for the audience that you've got that's not for me to say like i'm you know with my small following uh, bestowing words of wisdom or something like that but i am i'm trying to do my best to speak forth something of value something that the people that follow me and that follow my friends and you know introduce them to interesting people like yourself that will enrich their lives and, and, and help them make good lives better and bad lives less, less bad. Um, you know, that, that seems great, but yeah, the, the prospect of having a platform and not using it to me is sacrilege, I think.
1: So I'm often asked what, um, how do I define a good speaker? And let's just assume uh, the given is that they know what they're talking about, uh, and you know she's <laughs> probably not a very good given.
0: Sometimes, <laughs> no, well,
1: let, well, let's let's just for the for the point I'm going to make, um, yeah, yeah. make it given. So there are there two things which, in my experience, uh, the best speakers I've ever met have, and the first thing is an ego, and I know that's going to sound negative, um, and it and it is to a certain extent. But if you're the type of person, um, I mean, Chris, you know, I've seen your your Instagram account. You clearly care about what you're doing, um, but there's clearly an ego in there as well, right? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, So having an ego isn't a bad thing as long as our desire to add value and serve our audience is higher and bigger than our ego.
0: It's a very interesting point.
1: So the best speakers I know stand up, get a real thrill from standing up on stage. Absolutely, they do. But their desire to affect change in others is bigger than their ego. Mm. I think of think of some world politicians right now. Mention no names. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, wouldn't it be amazing if they had if they leveraged the platform that's come from you know, their notoriety and everything that they do because their desire to affect change in others and add value was bigger than their ego? What what a difference that would make!
0: Well, wow. the, the the point that you've missed there is that you're presuming that they know what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a very good point shame my friend
0: <laughs> so yes we've talked about the uh, avenues of access to the audience that we've defined we've looked at our why um, where are we going to next
1: so the n- the next stage I would go to we've we've added value we're collaborating with other influencers so we're starting to really build our reach.
0: Oh, the uh, sorry I- to to interject the credibility yep. by association thing which you touched on earlier on. I really enjoyed in the book. I think um, you're totally correct when you see someone who you follow. How many times do you go out and listen to a Joe Rogan podcast? Matthew Walker, who wrote Why We Sleep, I'd seen Why We Sleep advertised on Amazon, it had been pinged to me off my Kindle or my email, but I listened to him on Joe Rogan for three hours. Obviously, in and of himself, he was very charming and added a lot of value, but also the platform that Joe Rogan gave him allowed me to be exposed to him, lended more credence, more credibility to what he was saying. And I I bought the book while I was listening to him. So, so there's a whole,
1: there's a whole load of kind of cliches on, we're known by the company we keep or we are the the kind of net product of the five people we hang around the most with, you know, is all, all of those ones, which people know. Do they ring, um, do they
0: ring true for you? Uh,
1: the uh, not, if I'm going to be really strict. Um, yes, we are known by the company we keep absolutely positively and negatively. Um, but the whole five, five people that we hang around the most with, I think is nonsense. Uh, of course, you know, the, uh, networks aren't restricted to five people yeah. <laughs> you know, we know lots and lots and lots of people and in different contexts uh, we'll hang around with different people you know if I'm if I'm uh, like the comedy course I, I went on to the other week uh, you know there's a, a whatsapp group now of a, a whole load of budding comedians having fun that's got nothing to do with my work it's got very little to do with my home life or my friends actually um, so we, we live in uh, pockets of interests and, uh, and we build communities within our pockets of interest. And hopefully, um, you know, we're multi-layered human beings with lots of interests. You try and um,
0: take the best from everyone, right?
1: Yeah. Do you know what? I mean, even a, lo- a lovely thing, I mean, I'm, I'm a mid forties guy, right? So I'm, I'm 45 years old and 46 this year. And, uh, you know, the speaking is one of the things I'm passionate about this, this, uh, last month I managed to um, speak up for a client in Glasgow. And what was really lovely is that, uh, uh, my my dirty little secret is for the last 14 years I've been an Xbox uh, fanatic. I managed to <laughs> avoid it while I was building a technology business in the in, in the 90s. And uh, my wife and kids bought me an Xbox for my birthday which was uh, a, a really fatal thing to do. <laughs> Call, Call of Duty being my game of choice. Okay. Um, of course what happens is you start to um <clears throat> uh, make friends and build a clan and uh, and that that happened anyway. I got up to Glasgow for, for this speaking event and uh, really brilliantly, I managed to meet up with some of my clan and go out for a few beers and oh, have, have a bit of fun. Now, some of these people I've known really well for over 12 years, but have never met face to face.
0: AFK, as it's known, away from keyboard.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um, so, you know, as I say, you know, it's not. It's, it doesn't really matter how we connect with others. It just matters that we do connect with
0: others. And, uh, I, think, and be- I think there's definitely. Um, there's a lot to be said about we did it recently do a podcast on confidence and one of the things that I tried to take away from that was talking about being truthful and being vulnerable to a degree and I think that making a making a genuine connection or committing to making a genuine connection even if it's only mostly going to be one way the majority of social media is one is you speaking and then some responses there's more of you speaking than there are responses for most most people online but for you to add value Personally, I think that there has to be a level of vulnerability because presuming that you genuinely care about what it is that you're talking about, you you have to be very honest and very open and very truthful with it. That doesn't mean that you have to be completely transparent, but it does mean that you have to um, allow people to see a, a very true, true side of you. And I think that can probably be quite daunting for a lot of people who are concerned that their audience might not like what they hear.
1: Well, it's also daunting because it's not the way we're being socially conditioned right now. If you think about it, um, social media is people's highlight showreel. It's not It's not real life. Um, but actually, you think about the biggest connections you've ever had with somebody, it's where you've actually been vulnerable um, or, you know, utterly honest and human. Uh, that's that's where we connect. It's an incredibly
0: um, endearing trait.
1: Well, you know, even as a speaker, one of the biggest weapons I'll use on stage and uh, is self-deprecation. <laughs> uh, I'm quite happy to take them account myself. It really, it really doesn't um, doesn't bother me at all. Uh, but it, but it does relax an audience because suddenly they're not thinking that listening to some know-it-all on stage. It's yeah. a, it's a human being just sharing sharing the story, and that's uh, that's the way it should be.
0: Very brilliant characteristic to, as well.
1: Com, coming back to the credibility by association though, because you mentioned one of the stories in the book, and 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 actually just so this this lands with your your, um, your audience There's a cu- couple of quick stories. I'll tell one from the book and one is one that isn't. But uh, for me, it comes back to this term about uh, understanding the power that somebody who already has profile, either endorsing you or taking you under the wing or being seen with you the power that can have. So the story I talk about in the book is um, a, a personal development speaker, author, uh, and a- actually, to a certain extent, mentor to me when I was uh, when I was younger is a guy called Jack
0: Black not the and jack not the jack
1: black not not the hollywood jack black Glaswegian uh, <laughs> uh, jack black who built a brand called mind store uh, so it's it's um it, it's all about kind of personality and uh, sorry uh, personal development he, he was a social worker in the 80s and he was fascinated by personal development himself so he started developing his own content and when he was ready to launch his own business he saw the concept of credibility by association he may not have called it that but he he borrowed £10,000, and he put Sir John Harvey Jones on stage next to him in front of 2,000 Glaswegian business owners at a conference or an event he was running because he understood that Sir John Harvey Jones would be the draw, but then the moment he's on stage and he's on stage with him, he gets yeah. the credibility that comes with that. And overnight, he was the business guru that works with Sir John Harvey Jones. <laughs> and as a result, built a really good, powerful business. Yeah. Um, you may have heard the name Judy Naik who um no who who sold her business for 70 75 million uh it was the she didn't even develop the product but she had the distribution rights to the Santra um tanning okay, okay. tanning stuff out of that and yeah so for her uh, i mean she's quite an inspirational businesswoman anyway because of the way she dealt with people but uh, she attributes uh, a lot of her success to having somebody like Victoria Beckham walking out of the store with a clear plastic bag and her product in the bag. And uh, when when I heard her story, it was within the months that followed, she did about $2 million in sales just because of that one media appearance. Yeah. Uh, you know, so like that whole credibility by association thing can be really, really powerful, but can be used uh, – it doesn't – you know, we're talking about big things here, like a $75 million um, sale. How does, that, how does that apply to a florist working in a town centre or – you know or somebody who just want has an aspiration for a local business and doesn't necessarily want to take it any bigger for for them it's really about identifying the influencers locally if you want more people to know you locally try and find the people who have sway who who make recommendations day in day out who are the networkers who are the people that you can build relationships with over a coffee just locally because they're approachable um you know these are These are simple principles or concepts, and they can be applied at whatever level or um, or whatever level of aspiration you have for your business
0: I understand I think what we're obviously skirting around here to a degree is the um, the very overused term now of influencers mostly used for social media um, you know the the number of product endorsements that you get now is leveraging this exact credibility by association isn't it you look at for most of the, the listeners, Boohoo.com and ASOS and Topman and even Giacomo and people like that are trying to rebrand themselves by attaching themselves to people like Freddie Flintoff. And do you know what I mean? Like they they are, this credibility by association has become a major industry in and of itself.
1: It has, and uh, uh, but uh, you know, it's not it's not necessarily new. I know influencer marketing is a is a more recent term, but you know, I remember over a decade ago when uh, BlackBerry were uh, one of the dominant brands in, in mobile phones, and uh, they had a, a they called it their ambassador scheme, but it was just influencer marketing. They identified people who were prominent in loads of different niches. Uh, I, I was I was one of them in the small business sector because at the time I was running a, a, a large business network. Um and you know, it meant every month I got them the next new shiny phone to as you know, as long as I shared it, wrote about it, etc. Yeah. etc. Cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, so I was one of the ambassadors amongst other people. Um but it, it you know, that was that for me was when I started to really notice that uh, you know this was a, a principle that could be leveraged by anybody really.
0: So by trying to get some credibility by association here, how how can we access these people? Obviously by virtue of them being in a a position of existing influence or potentially, uh, either a different or a, a higher level of access to network than we have. What are the, what are the, the effective ways that someone can go about enticing somebody in, in terms of contact? Or if they're meeting them face to face, what can they do to, um, make them have more confidence in the, in the pitch, so to speak, to become associated?
1: Yeah, so this is a good question. It's one I'm often asked, uh, because, of course, nobody wants to go reach out to somebody who's got sway and influence and immediately be asking for something. That's uh, the sure, surest far way to, uh, to turn them off and get them to ignore everything that you do. So, you know, most people uh, want to understand uh, what makes you tick, your values, your intentions, before they're going to uh, invest any time into you. Um, so that's the first thing. Um, I used to sell sponsorship. So, you know, with our, with our, our business network brand we managed to attract really nice sponsorship figures from brands like Santander, uh, BlackBerry, O2, uh, Microsoft et etc and you don't attract those brands unless um unless there's something in it for them and so you always lead <laughs> with what's in it for them and I think this is the this is the principle as well when you're approaching people within your network it's seeking to add value first um, so, you know, for example, if I'd already started to build an audience and I, and I wanted to uh, attract the attention of, a of an influencer, I'd probably invite them to be interviewed. They're probably going to want to, at some level, share their message. Um, they're going to be flattered by the invitation. Uh, it's no different from you inviting me onto this podcast, Chris, mm-hmm. you know, it's nice to, to, um, reach a different audience. You know, that, that works The the whole principle of credibility by associations at play here, by the way, you know, cause, uh. I'm sure you'll enjoy it when I share the podcast with my audience, because that that broadens yours. Um, And you've already got an audience which might be a different demographic than I normally talk to. So, you know, we both win from it. We're both getting the credibility by association from the conversation. As long as, of course, we're both not coming across as morons, (laughs) which I I, I choose to believe we're not. Yeah. So you know, approaching somebody, I would I would seek to add value first. I would I would avoid asking for anything. I would seek to add value. Um, I would avoid asking for anything that's not in their interests. If you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, that's a
1: good starting point. So. um, and then, of course, you know, once you've once you've started that, there's two, two things I would add to this journey of influence uh, that we started on, because we've got assume, you know, your what and why, understand who your audience is, identify the influences in the marketplace, add value and collaborate. Um, and I, I would then say there's only really two more s- steps to this uh, from an influence strategy point of view. Of course, we can go into lots more detail on any of those things. Yeah. But as a as a broad strategy, one is then to continue to build your reach and preferably on your own pr- platform. So we rely so heavily on um, uh, the platforms that are readily available to us, like YouTube and Facebook and what have you. Uh, but, I, you know, it's quite turbulent. They are changing. And because some of the um, uh, personal brands out there have become a little bit more com- uh, controversial, they're being deplatformed.
0: So my my Yiannopoulos awesome is now off off Twitter and Uh, yeah,
1: well, he's been off Twitter for some time, but, um, but, but actually, yeah, he was deplatformed not just from, from Twitter, but things like Breitbart too, you know? Um, So, you know, it's, it, the, the crowd can have that impact. So it's important for you to own your own platform and, or to, to own your reach, own your relationship with your audience rather than rely on somebody else would be my advice. Interesting,
0: interesting interjection here. I don't know whether you follow much of what Tim Ferriss does, Yes. But, um his he is he is number one um advocate of email lists that he pushes everybody, he maximizes and he sings this the the exact same uh, hymn sheet that you are about the algorithm on Facebook can change and there's nothing that you can do about it, the reach on YouTube, so on and so forth, everything is mediated by this third party. And I think that's one of the reasons why he's such a big advocate of Getting maximising email uh, subscription and email sign-up because it is a direct um, vo- uh, line of communication from him to his audience.
1: hundred percent. And actually, it's not just restricted to things like that. I read somewhere recently that Google's about to change their algorithms yet again. So it's not, you know, you can have done as much as you wanted to with SEO in the past, but it's not necessarily going to help you moving forward. Um, you know, it's going to be weighted in different ways. So it's a... You know, these these are things that you constantly have to keep on top of. But owning your relationship with your audience is massively important.
0: How else can someone ensure that they own the relationship with their audience or own their platform, as you put it?
1: Um, so specifically, uh, to, to answer that question, I would I, I would be wherever possible taking them away from the places that you met them in the first place <laughs> and building that subscription. So Tim, what Tim does is he, he'll go and play on social media. Uh, he has lots of referral schemes in place. So he relies on his audience to help him build his audience too. Um, but he will, he will give you something of value, but in in order to get that something of value, you're subscribing. So it could be a, a, a 10 top tips on how to whatever, but yeah. you part, you part with your email address. And then he makes it very clear. I'm going to send you something of value uh, on a regular basis. If you if you don't want that thing of value, then uh, you know adios, no problem. But uh, but if you do, then know why you're doing this. It's not me spamming. I'm sending you something of value. Yeah. So you know it's being really clear with intentions. Um, and you know the point is that all of the hard work should have been done before that stage. You know the people that you're talking to should understand your values. They should understand the value you bring to them, and therefore you know when they subscribe, um, it's. It, it's a consensual act. You know? They've
0: got a feeling of certainty and safety that they're that they're buying into something that they value.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Okay. So, and then then
1: the, then the last step I would take beyond build, you know continuing to build your reach and own your platform would be to uh, you know productize, take advantage of what you've built, productize, then rinse and repeat, you know, all of those steps, you can continuously go through them. And, you know, you should be on a regular basis, as the world changes around you, revisiting your what and your why, um, and how your audience is changing. And therefore, you know, where are they playing now? What's the change in technology or social media that they've moved on to? Mm. Um, you know, who are the new influencers? Who can you give a helping hand to who might be bringing a new audience with them? Um, add value, collaborate, Continue to build your reach, productize wins, and repeat.
0: I think what I like about that particular layout is that the productize comes at the end, and the operating a freemium model or over delivering on the front end, as it's known uh, in the online marketing world, is um, a commonly a commonly used approach now. And as you say, exactly exactly right with Tim Ferriss, what you get, you get an awful lot of value for a very little um investment i.e. something that's free you're giving your email across but the content that you get is very very highly valued and that the productizing or the um turning that into a financial or business in quotation marks plan almost becomes it, it emerges organically out of all of the steps that you've built upon that you've got this level of credibility that you have good access to market that you understand the audience that you're speaking to
1: yeah uh, and so whilst productizes the end in that simple model uh, actually the reality is you do all of those things all at the same time yeah um, <laughs> you know it's it's nice and easy to sort of spell it out in steps but of course if you've got a product and service to sell you're going to sell it to the audience that you've got at the time you start really um yeah you, you know it, but you're right what it, you know, the considerations up until the point of productizing and selling something is making sure that you've got something that's truly of value. And it's a consensual act, you know, that your audience want it. Um, but, you know, that's it's a very simple philosophy on, on the whole thing. I mean, as I say, the world has changed, you know, influence has changed massively. Uh, what most people uh, perceive to be the change might just be societal. But actually, we've had changes in, in how technology's impacted business. You know, it's a, a, a nice little stat that over 40% of the companies at the top of the Fortune 500 in the year 2000 were no longer there in the year 2010. Is
0: that true? Uh, oh that's my true. God.
1: And, and you know, even on top of that, you've got brands that have come from nowhere, which, you know, we've all heard of and know of, like the Ubers and the Airbnbs, yeah. who uh, have come from nowhere worth absolute fortunes, um, but don't necessarily own the product or service. They own the access to the product or service. So they, they have the influence over the audience. You Know Uber's the biggest fleet of cars in the world, they don't own a car. Yeah, uh, Airbnb is the biggest portfolio property in the world, they don't own a property. I they think have. I
0: think Alibaba's the same, but for retail.
1: Yeah, sure, sure. And you know, and Amazon the same for for retail as well. You know, yeah. it's, it's the people who own the relationship with the customer, with the audience, and of course, they're their own platforms, <laughs> they've built their own platforms, they own and, their
0: own platform, yeah, and they
1: own the relationship. So, you know, that's absolutely um, telling. Um, and, you know, there's the opposite. is true. I mean, think think of brands that uh, that should have done it. I mean, Yale.com or Yellow Pages, yeah. Yale, Yale.com are actually doing some really quite good stuff now around small business marketing, websites, SEO and all of that type of thing. They are doing some good things. But but actually, considering they started in 1956, <laughs> a little um, bit Bright-
0: ahead of everyone else.
1: Well, in Brighton, um, they started with the Yellow Pages. They suddenly grew. They eventually grew onto four continents, and they dominated search. The Internet came along, and there was nobody saying, how's this Internet thing going to affect our business? They should have been Google.
0: But they weren't. Blockbuster, the same.
1: Blockbuster, um, very similar. Kodak, very similar. Kodak actually invented the digital camera, the thing that we all walk around with in our pockets and just call a phone, but it's a, an Oracle multi-purpose device. They invented the digital camera. Um, they even brought futurists into their business in the 80s and said, What's the future of digital? What's the future of photography? And of course, they said the future is digital, and they said that's not what we we wanted to hear. You didn't didn't want that, yeah? (laughs) Uh, You know, so there was a load of people that are really close-minded to the change that's happening all around them. But it's, uh, but it's, it's, it's not just technology that's changes. In fact, one of the examples I use on stage, I'll give you it now. There's a, a barometer for how long it takes a product or service to reach 50 million users. Okay, so for the telephone, it was 75 years. For the radio, it was 38 years. For the TV, it was 13 years. The iPod did it in four. The internet did it in three. Facebook did it in two. The iPhone did it in three months. Now, if you think about it, every single one of those is an innovation in communication. It's an innovation in the way that we communicate and influence, it's a different broadcast medium. And just to evidence the three months it took the iPhone, it took Angry Birds thirty days. Oh. <laughs> <You> know, <so laughs> that's that's the uh, that's the kind of uh, you know the speed of change as it um, happens.
0: Yeah, I, I think uh, it's terrifying, isn't it? And I suppose that it almost becomes each of those um, levels of communication and <clears throat> how open global communication is now. Permits this to catalyse itself further. It'll only mean that this gets further expedited, and that these these um, timeframes are going to become even more shortened, because you can find out about something so much more quickly than you ever could before,
1: or or not. You can find out the, the falsehood. You know that's the, the disinformation that's the, comes on the, the other absolutely. side. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So, so I wanted to talk about um, personal brands and how people yeah. how people. Display themselves both, both online and in person. I know you in the book, you touch on, um, ways to dress colors and how they elicit different uh, emotions in different sort of ties and, and, and outfits, neuro linguistic programming, body language. Um, let's start with how you can make a good impression face to face. I know a lot of people when we talk about influence may be thinking about what happens online and that may be a a high volume of the traffic that goes backwards and forwards but certainly for me when I meet um, when I meet with other business people and people of influence who are good face-to-face they leave a very marked impression on me in a different way to someone who's good online does it seems to be a much a much rarer skill set
1: it's it's a much rarer skill set but it's going to be the one which I believe will be utterly in demand in the next couple of decades why Uh, the 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 line i use on stage is in an age of automation artificial intelligence and robotization stay human uh
0: yes so you know the
1: the the point which i want people to understand is that you know we are becoming more disconnected from each other uh, you know counterintuitively because we're more connected you know via technology but we're actually more disconnected on a hum, human level because it's, as we said earlier on, it's highlight reels that are being shared. It's it's uh, superficial stories. It's summaries rather than in-depth in conversations. You know, mm-hmm. people are projecting them their best selves rather than their, their vulnerable selves, if you know what I mean. So they're not doing the human thing. And so I, I believe one of the core competencies, one of the core skills that you can, you can go and develop no matter what industry you're in and what level you want to achieve within that industry, if you want to be more effective with all of your relationships, then you need to become a student of people. And that includes yourself. Understand who you are and then be authentic to that. But under, understand other people and adapt how you communicate with them to their preferences. So there's a number of tools for that, which we can un- unpack if you want to. Yes, please. But uh, but that's the... Um, that's I, th- I think it's going to be the most important skill. And and even on a a big brand kind of corporate level, it's going to be about demonstrating values and telling stories because that's how we're going to be connecting with people more and more. Mm -hmm. So uh, to unpack the original bit where communication starts, I'll I'll tell you a couple of things. First of all, let's talk about what the communication model is, how the process of communication. So we have um, a very, very, very easily we have external stimuli that comes in that can be in a number of different formats and we'll receive that and process it through our kind of visual auditory kinesthetic uh, even even through um, you know things like taste you know we'll will interpret the world around us uh, in a number of different ways but let's say mainly through our eyes ears and you know what what we sense and what we feel yeah um and then what happens is we apply our normal filters so our filters will generalize, distort, and delete. You know they will they will map that information against our own values, our social conditioning, uh, the beliefs that we hold, um, and the the memories that we have. Um, you know we are a product of our environment. It's that whole kind of conversation around nature and nurture. I think it's in most cases nurture will win every single time. Yeah. Um, so we are a product of our environment. But anyway, all of those things um, they basically constitute our map of reality this was once um uh, highlighted to me uh, quite recently actually where somebody had come into a, a friend of mine who was who was coaching and uh, she was coaching this particular client and they said um i want to be uh, a better communicator a better speaker and she said okay well we need to work on your confidence and she says oh no i don't want to work on my confidence <laughs> she said so why well, don't want to work on your confidence because i don't want to come across as arrogant So in her map of reality, the word confidence means arrogant. Um, And the assumption that we always make is that everybody thinks the same way that we do or, or uses language in the same way that we do or has interpreted the world around them in the same way that we have. And it's a kind of fatal mistake. So the communication model is it comes in external stimuli. We put it through our filters. Um, map it against you know our map of reality this affects our physical state and therefore our physiology and therefore it impacts the way we behave That's the simple process of communication. Okay. Okay, the next thing is really around um, Then how how we internally process information so if you can understand somebody's preference to things like visual auditory kinesthetic or even uh, you know Those that are real logic thinkers. This is touching on some of the things that NLP will will teach um, you know if you're if you're dealing with somebody who has a strong visual preference and you can identify that you can use language like uh, do you see what i mean or can you see the can you see the big picture you know you'll use visual language and you'd probably be a little bit more effective with them if somebody's got an auditory preference for how they process information it was do you hear what i'm saying um if it's feelings you know um, you, you know I, I get the feeling that, and you can use those language. You know, how does that feel to you, for example? So the key is how you identify people's representational. I systems. was going to say, how do
0: you yeah. how do you determine that?
1: There's a number of tools, um, and that, and before I tell you, before I give you the answer to that, because it's, um, you know, there, it, there's a there's another level of complexity. I don't know if you've ever done psychometrics, Chris. I, I haven't. You ever done a disc profile, something like that. I've
0: done uh, Big Five. Which is a okay. pers- personality assessment. Um, I'm not sure if that counts.
1: You know, I, en- I encourage everybody to go off and and uh, do these things because there's a there's a always going to be a slight improvement in self awareness that comes from it.
0: What would you recommend?
1: Um, So disk is the is the the one that's uh, best known. But, you know, there's Myers-Briggs, there's Belbin. They're all good for different contexts. Uh, Disk is the one that's really known and, and quite often used by other tools, too. They adapt. They take the standard core of it when they apply different learnings you know the thing about these things is they'll put you into a into a box for the sake of um uh, overview analytics but actually we all have adaptive behaviors too and yeah. and we all you know float in between different for example i'm a i'm a high i in disk which is uh, energetic uh, big picture enthusiastic uh, outgoing all of those things but um but actually if i come across somebody who's uh, very dominant and and task focused and strong-willed and forceful i'll adapt my behavior to uh, to ultra dominate them if you know what i mean because i don't i don't like being dominated so ah, yes. my, my adaptive behavior will will be to uh to, to match theirs um but it will all it will always be our, our adaptive behaviors are also also always very true to our values they they're anchored to our values um, but again, it's a it's a thing to understand. So for example, in the sales context, if, if I was going into a sales meeting, and I'm, I meet somebody like me, we're going to have a, a bit of a laugh, if we're going to have banter, we're going to be telling stories, you know, it's talking big, big picture, it's going to be enthusiastic and, and positive. And um, if I go in and speak to somebody who's highly analytical, uh, with a strong preference for detail, um, I immediately will adapt to the way I'm communicating and I'll get to the point first. I'll do the numbers and, you know, otherwise if I'm doing my usual thing, they'll just be thinking, just get on with it. <laughs> what what <are> numbers? <laughs> give me the details. Uh, they'll be distracted by that. So you have to adapt to the way that you speak to others to, to match their communication preferences.
0: Okay. So how, <laughs> how are we, how we are we going to determine who these people are?
1: So, so I'm going to give you t- two, um, two obvious methods. Um, f- well, one obvious method and one which isn't so obvious. There's something called eye accessing cues, which I find quite useful. I use it quite a lot in my uh, just day to day rapport with other people. And this is the. Uh, have you seen um, the TV series Lie to Me with Tim Roth? Yes. Yeah. So, of course, he uses a whole load of tools which are. Uh, psychological tools understanding thought processes body language etc eye access and tools is one of them and basically if you're speaking to somebody and they where where their eyes go gives you a bit of an indication into their, their communication preference so imagine you're looking at somebody and their eyes go top right hand corner uh, so their top left top right yep. to you that's visual recall, so they're they're accessing memories. So if it goes to the other side, it's visual construct. That's imagination, often um, misused by police forces. who think people are constructing alibis if they spend a lot of time there. <laughs> Remember, it's not an exact science. It's just a, a, a good way of uh, understanding a preference. So uh, if they if they stay dead even, but go to the left, uh, uh, sorry, go to the right as facing, that's auditory recall. So remembering what somebody said uh, to the left, it's auditory construct, imagining what somebody might say um if it, if it goes to the bottom right hand card side that's internal dialogue that's probably somebody very strong logical thinker who's actually asking themselves the question and, pro, and trying to figure out what their answer is if it's the opposite side bottom left that's kinesthetic touch taste smell etc so there's somebody very connected to their feelings and typically somebody who's a strong kinesthetic thinker will be uh slower in their communication uh because they're feeling it uh. Uh, so, so that's that's one example. Um, but do you know, the really simple way of understanding uh, somebody's preference with all of these things is to listen. <laughs> Honestly, it's not more complex than that. Asking really good questions and listening. You see, um, on top of communication and representational systems, the thing which I really go off about is context. Everybody has a context. Everybody has uh, a set of circumstances that are really unique to them. And the only way we get to understand people's communication preferences, personality types, and their context is to ask them really good questions. They did um, uh, a study where they took a chap who was flying transatlantically from New York to the UK. And uh, this could be just an urban myth, by the way, but I've been telling mm-hmm. the story for because I heard it years ago and thought it was, I thought it was cool. But this person was flying transatlantically from New York to the UK, seven hours on the flight, and they gave him the task that you've got to keep the guy next to you talking for the whole seven hours without, oh re- without revealing a single piece of information about yourself. Wow. So when they landed, they interviewed the guy, the other passenger, and they said, how was your flight? It was amazing. Oh. It was really good. <laughs> what about the guy you sat talking to? Oh, what a fella, really cool guy. What was his name? Couldn't tell you. Didn't have a scooby-doo. Hadn't given them any information at all. He'd just shown such such genuine interest that this person had been made to feel like a million dollars. So um, you have two byproducts of asking good questions and being interested in people. One is you get to learn their personality preferences, representational systems um, and uh, context. The second is they really like you because you've shown interest in them. They feel special and so it has, it's a double edged sword, it works really, really well, you know, in a networking context, I meet people who are nervous about networking all the time. And, you know, networking can be daunting, and there's no two ways around it. But actually, if you just get good at asking people questions and showing genuine interest in people, and it's no different from dating, Chris, is it? You know, mm-hmm. if I if, if I knew these tools, when I was um 16, 17, years
0: old, You've had a much different um, teenage teenage years. Yeah.
1: Just show interest in people, you know, yeah. make them feel special by showing genuine interest. It's the key to all things. I think you know, you're, the- you're
0: very right. Everyone everyone knows, everyone's got that friend who just won't shut up about what they've got going on. And no one really wants to be around them or they tolerate them to varying degrees. But yeah, when I think about the people who I have the most connection with, it's the ones who ask questions, who ask me how I'm doing or how my day's gone or follow up something. They don't just ask a question to be polite. They take a genuine interest and then they ask again and then they ask again.
1: Yeah, so I'll, I'll quote Buddha, if your mouth is open, you're not learning.
0: Very fair point. Very fair point. So we've had a look at how we can interpret what uh, category someone else um, would fall into so that they can you can gear your use of language towards that what are the things that you can do yourself after asking questions in terms of body language in terms of dress in terms of eye uh, eye contact word usage what are the things that you can do to give the the best impression of yourself face to face
1: so um so we we talk talk about getting into rapport with somebody and there's um There's a a number of different ways of getting into rapport, Um, but let's start with the physiology. So rapport is that kind of that that time of connection with somebody where, you know, you're starting to build trust. Um, So from a physiology point of view, uh, simple things like um, blinking and breathing at the same pace on a subconscious level. Is
0: Is that easy to do?
1: Um, well, you know, the, the key with all of these things is if you, if you force it uh, and you're obvious with it, it feels like manipulation and it will have the opposite effect. It will, it will turn somebody off.
0: Yeah. It breaks, but da- if, breaks down the fourth wall.
1: Yeah. But if you, if you, if you come in um, to a, a situation with somebody and you genuinely just want to try and be synchronized, um, that's, that's that's a different thing altogether. In fact, the biggest way of, you know, I'm going to tell you a few things about rapport now, but actually the biggest way of, of um, building rapport with somebody is when you're asking all of those great questions we just talked about, genuinely listen to their answer. You know, if you're really listening to somebody, you'll naturally fall into rapport with them anyway. Um, in fact, I was at um, uh, an exhibition in London called the best you big shout out to Bernardo Moya who, who runs that <laughs> event in London every, every year. And, um, and I was talking, I had a I was speaking there, but I had a stand as well. So I was on the stand talking to people. I was talking to this woman who's really, really skeptical uh, about anything to do with things like rapport. And after about ten minutes, she'd kind of relaxed, she was showing more interest. And I just highlighted to her that um we were stood in exactly the same pose, which was my hand was on my midsection, kind of holding the buckle of my belt. Mm. And she she'd come into that same pose. And she said, well, you've just put your hands there. I've been stood this way. She was real sceptical. Mm-hmm. I said, actually, I've been stood like this for an hour. My belt broke an hour ago. I've been holding, <laughs> I've been holding my trousers up. Um, you've, you've fallen into rapport with me. And, you know, it, it does happen. It's because on a subconscious level, we do actually want to connect with other people. So the the whole blinking and breathing thing is uh, is a, a, a nice, gentle way of doing it. Um, the expressions on our faces, you know, um, uh, being in control of our own expressions having a smile on our face you know all of all of the, all of those things is is easy to do yet people don't do it um, but it's got to be an authentic smile as well and um, so two quick things on this i was once in an audience I was speaking to an audience and a guy in the audience had this grimace on his face the whole way through my talk and as a speaker I'm, i try and make eye contact with everybody yeah. and uh, i immediately thought god this guy hates what i'm saying <laughs> And at the end of the talk, you know, his facial expression hadn't changed. At the end of the talk, he came up to me and he said, that was one of the best presentations I've ever heard. (laughs) I thought, you have forgotten to tell your face, my friend. Um, (laughs) uh, He he utterly confused me with that response. Uh, And, uh, you know, we're in control of our expressions. So if you want to make friends with people and build rapport, then, of (laughs) course, you know, just relax into it. Um, One of the people who didn't do this authentically, though, was – previous uh, PM Gordon Brown. So Gordon Brown, at one of the elections, uh, was basically advised by somebody within his team to go and practice his smile. And before the cameras were turned up at one of the BBC election debates in Bristol, he stood at the lectern for about 15 minutes practicing his smile, which just didn't look natural at all. So this is where you've got to get the balance right with who you authentically are. Yeah. Um, but anyway, moving on, then you've got things like uh, the nonverbal, our gestures. Um, so, you know, our reptilian brains, if you approach somebody with your hands behind your back, their immediate subconscious thought is, what are you hiding? What weapon are you going to pull out and, and cock me over the head yeah. with? Exactly. So, open body language, um, positive body language, you know. Um, uh, but then being mindful about what different gestures meet, mean in different countries. A, a quick funny, a friend of mine, Steve Clark, uh, was speaking in Tehran and in tehran he said one of the things steve's puts his thumbs up all the time you know he's is that all right yeah yeah as a speaker mm-hmm. and uh he'd made a point and then put his thumbs up now in in iran if you put your your thumb up at somebody you're flipping the bird you're doing the equivalent <laughs> of bird. so you had 400 people <laughs> just in an done audience.
0: that to an entire auditorium <laughs>
1: well 400 people in an audience uh who had just flipped um, you know, consistently carried on doing it. And their whole (laughs) facial expressions changed. And he was saved by his translator who said, he doesn't know what he's just done in their ears. (laughs) And then they started laughing and it was rescued. But you know, just be mindful, but open body language, show your hands. And I'm often asked, actually, in an age of um, video conference calls and Skype calls, where people aren't traveling as much, but still wanting to connect, Mm. how can you do the same thing? Uh, so you know the same thing um applies if you're going to take the eye where i talk about image um, in the book it's not just about brand it's not just about profiles and pictures or the way that you're dressed it's also the way you set the room you're speaking in what's the impression the reason i asked you for this particular thing is it an audio or is it a video because if it was video i'd have done it somewhere else <laughs> um you know because i'd have been mindful of the scene that we 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 set as well um so uh, again the thing about a, a Skype call is you can still show your hands, you can still make eye contact by looking directly into the camera. The moment you start getting distracted and reading emails and not giving your attention to the person you're talking to, then you know, you're, you're going to lose some of that ability to influence.
0: It's interesting that the, the principles of face-to-face communication occur <clears throat> even when the other <laughs> face is coming through a screen
1: absolutely absolutely so i always minimize the picture of the other person and put it right up by the camera so a i'm i'm watching their face but uh, uh, you know my eyes are looking into their eyes um that's a really good
0: that's a really good little tip isn't it again i
1: think it's important you know we've got we've got to if we're going to use adapt the way that we we behave and communicate to technology then we still have to use it and apply the old principles that's the point point of the book really Um, So the nonverbal includes posture. You'll have heard people doing power poses and closed body language, arms folded, etc. You know, uh, but don't read too much into these things all the time. You know, unlike you, Chris, I've seen I've seen your pictures. I know you are. Uh, mind, body, soul, fitness fanatic. <laughs> I, I, I'm a, I'm a overweight mid forties guy. So sometimes good on I, Xbox though, <laughs> good on Xbox. But sometimes <laughs> I fold my arms because it's comfortable. I've got a little belly I can rest my arms on. You know, so it's it's different horses for different courses. Um, you may have even seen recently where a, a lot of the Tory MPs have been stood in para poses with their leg, legs far too far apart. They look like aging <laughs> para Rangers.
0: <laughs> no, you know, I haven't seen that. <laughs>
1: Uh, so, you know, again, to be avoided and, you know, eye contact, common sense, little uh, and often, Um, you know, if you intensely stare into somebody's eyes constantly, you're going to freak them out. So use it when you're being sincere. In fact, for me, when I'm talking to somebody, I look into their eyes. When I'm listening to somebody, I watch their mouth. Um, Is that,
0: so, a, good, is that a, a fairly good rule of thumb to, to just, use?
1: It's just the way i do it uh and it, and by uh, you know i i know that if there's certainly if there's background noise and things if i'm reading some watching somebody's mouth i'm really taking in what they're saying i'm concentrated on the words um and i'm and i'm receiving the words in more than one way but if i'm talking to them i'm looking into their eyes and and, and showing i'm not hiding behind anything the moment you start looking away when you're actually talking um you know that that could uh, Breed um, a lack of trust.
0: I do find it sometimes very difficult. I work, I work quite hard on um, on maintaining eye contact, uh, especially having read having read the book. But the uh, hitting that Goldilocks zone of not too much to look like you want to fight, but enough to show that you're engaged. Uh, it, 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 there's still a question mark, I guess, that hangs over uh, with regards to that sometimes.
1: Well, well, well the, the easy thing is, um, you know, if you're in control of all the other assets you have i.e you're smiling um very rare to people look for a fight with a smile on the face True. you know um so it's it's just combining combining the lot but you know and en- enough for them to know that you're actually uh, involved in that conversation with them and not distracted about what's going on over their shoulders is, is the thing uh, and then you know uh, from non-verbal i'd come on to voice So with with voice is a whole load of things that we can do, our our pacing, our volume, the language that we use, the tone that we use, the different intonations that we use. So, um, you know, if I'm if I go and meet somebody, for example, particularly for the first time and they're all frantic and stressed, I might match that intensity initially. But then i'll slow myself down and slow them down with me so by the time we finish they're nice and relaxed and we're in rapport and we're having a a conversation and everybody's been calmed down but if i go in and start trying to be too calm initially i might not get into rapport with them as quickly because i'm you know subconsciously i'm not just like them equally if i'm stressed and manic because i'm late for a meeting and i come in and somebody's on calm and calm and relaxed you know, the, the first thing I'm doing is giving myself a sanity check and <laughs> by taking a taking a breath and slowing down my communication. Yeah. Um, so, that you know, little things like that are nice and easy. And language is easy. You know, language is around um, the words that we use. Compliments are free, but just make them genuine. Because if you just start saying nice things for the sake of it, it comes across as insincere. So. You know if you're in a job that's in somebody's you you find yourself in people's homes or if you go into somebody's office and they've got a picture of their their family um ask questions but oh, that's a lovely family you got there oh, this is a lovely home you have whatever the compliment is just mean it mm. so little things like that help um but language can get more complex um so with nlp uh, language patterns are, in, are an important part of it and embedded commands are an important part of that a very skilled politician who used to do that, in my opinion, was Tony Blair. Um, regardless of whether we agree with his politics, he was very skilled at using language. He would he would say something like, um, "You like me? Believe it's important for us to have a robust economy." Well, the embedded command there is "you like me." <laughs> you know, whatever he said, whatever he said beyond that, he was basically saying, "You like me? Believe um, and the you like me." It was a, with enough pause and f- for the command to actually sink in on a subconscious I'd never, level.
0: I'd never, even noticed that, but I can, I can literally picture that. Um, I can picture him saying that and pointing at the screen.
1: He was, he was clearly trained in things like NLP. Uh, his the way his body language, the way he, he sometimes you could see through, it, but actually most of the time he did it very naturally. Um so he's clearly been trained. Or he was just a very natural at it. But remember, you know, NLP in itself, its origins come from modelling the behaviour of people who are good at what they well, what they it's, do.
0: Yeah, it's it's trying to it's trying to recreate someone who naturally has that good rapport building, I suppose. Are there any other NLP um tricks or or um solutions that people can implement? Obviously hopefully not ones that are going to uh be too conceited or, or spurious but yeah ones that uh, that people could use to to assist them when they're trying to build rapport
1: um so uh, well think about what we've covered so far so we've, we've covered rapport from a physiology point of view from a non-verbal point of view and from a voice point of view one of one of the things which i think uh, people should in fact we've already said it today and i'm going to repeat it because i think it's important it's around connection on a human level So demonstrating your values. There's a reason why, you know, with my acronym in the book, the why is around you and it's around values and the character traits that you display. Um, I believe it's important to wear those values on your sleeve. I used to have a business card, actually, on the back of the business card. It had all the words that defined me. So, you know, West Ham United, skiing, Mm -hmm. um, family, um, you know, kids, father, guitar, whatever the the words which uh, which which floated my boat. And what would happen is people typically, if you exchange a business card in a, a meeting or a networking event, they'll turn the card over and immediately the conversation will be people orientated on one of those subjects uh, rather than actually just trying to be formal and businesslike. Mm. And it made the rest of the meetings so much easier because we got to relate on a human level rather than actually trying to talk business straight away. I understand. Um, So that whole connection thing with with other people uh, can come from a number of different ways. It can come because you've shown interest. It can come because you've been able to wear uh, your heart on your sleeve, your values on your sleeve. I'll I'll give you an example of this, actually. I was coming – this is a few years back, but when my kids were younger, uh, we were coming back from Euro Disney on the train. And my wife's an introvert, so she just wanted to put her head into a book and read and relax and, you know, re-energize by having her alone time, which is how introverts re-energize. And extroverts like me, we we re-energize by throwing ourselves into groups of people, you know. So in this particular case, she wanted to read a book. I was entertaining the kids. And um, before you knew it, I started to attract other people's children. I know that sounds wrong, but you know, from from the point of view, <laughs> card games, drawing, you know, entertainment, whatever. So I suddenly had a little audience, and I looked after these these kids on the way and um, coming into London. And about twenty minutes outside of a London train station, um, one of the other dads said, "I'm intrigued. What is it you do?" And we had a conversation, which resulted in business a couple of weeks later. No way. Um, he saw my values he could see how i was coming across he could see what i was like with my own children he could see i was generous enough to give time and attention to other people's kids you know the values were plain and simple and clear and uh, you know that uh, that just made the rest of the conversation nice and easy and you know when I, when we talk about things like serendipity not being a strategy serendipity is effective if if it's still not a strategy but it's still effective if you if you can make the most of opportunities because you Come across in the right way and, and and actually if you've got things front of mind one of my favorite um, uh, sayings is opportunity dances with those already on the dance floor <laughs> yeah uh, which I which I think is about uh, translated is just about having your wants needs desires front of mind if That's you remind it. yourself on a regular basis what you're looking for you're more likely to spot it
0: is it look equals preparedness plus opportunity yes. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Um, yes. Yeah, so is it really serendipity? But yeah. then you know the the very last thing which I'll give you, um, just uh, just on um, this this influencing face to face is is rather than approaching conversations in the uh, transactional way. You know, you tell me something, I'm going to tell you something. You tell me something, I'm going to tell you something, and it's going to serve a purpose. It becomes
0: like a game of tennis, right?
1: Absolutely. S- start telling stories. I believe one of the the core competencies of big brands, small brands, personal brands alike, for the next decade or so is going to be your ability to tell your stories, which demonstrate your values, which connect on a human level. So get great at storytelling.
0: I'll tell, you, not, what's, I'll tell you what's a, a really good example of that is how successful John Lewis have been with their Christmas commercials.
1: Amazingly so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're drew, drawing people in on a, on a subject rather than just saying, you know this is what we've got on the shelves and this is the price we're selling it at. it's about storytelling it's no different in face-to-face conversations um, and if you think about this conversation we've had so far we've told stories of tony blair gordon brown we've told stories of euro disney we've told stories of jack black um yeah. judy nail you know we've uh, we've told stories of business cards of people with different psychometric profiles of millennials you know it's all it's all about storytelling
0: I understand completely. So I think we've got a good, a good understanding of what people can do face to face there. What are the other principles of influence that you think that we haven't covered so far, which are pertinent for people to understand?
1: So in the book I, I break everything down into an acronym called PICI. Um and that's mainly because it's it's in the rule book for speakers or writers that you've got to have an acronym. Yeah, you're not, you're not allowed to do it otherwise. Um, so I'll just quickly run through the acronym and it'll just give an idea of the bigger picture. So peers around people. And so this we we've touched on it with how we connect with influencers, but um it's not necessarily just influences that bring us opportunities, knowledge, wisdom. Critical feedback, etc. It's our it's our networks, and uh, you know, I'd encourage anybody who is listening to this to start taking their networking a little bit more seriously. That doesn't necessarily mean going to breakfast networking events. It means just being a, a bit more uh, focused on on building your your uh, sphere of influence, the relationships that you have, the people that you would know and who would know you. Um, what like-
0: what is it that you say in the book? It's it's not who you know or what you know it's who knows it's also who knows you
1: 100% um so for, i take this quite seriously on I, I run a, a skiing trip every year called netski in fact we're about 13 years old now so we take a bunch of business people uh, i think the biggest group we've done was nearly 70 a bunch of business people to a resort um typically in in europe um and uh, of course they're bonding over a shared experience they're not you know they're not not sales pitching to each other. Um, nobody's immediately bringing business cards to dinner on an evening. You know, they're having a glass of wine, working hard in the day, laughing at the at the uh, the mistakes, mm. high-fiving over the triumphs, and it's a shared experience. They're connecting on a human level. And let me tell you, more business gets done on that trip and afterwards than any other networking event I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, I bet it does. I um, think uh, going just briefly jumping back to what you'd said previously about the storytelling – that it's strange, isn't it, that really effective uh, outcomes from a commercial perspective, in quotation marks, are elicited by not focusing on that at all, by focusing on the values and focusing on the story. And yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely can see some parallels in my business life with that.
1: And and I would say I d- I don't know where your audience is uh, geographically, but if if you've just heard that and thought, hey, I want to be a part of it, I'm going to shamelessly plug. It. It's net-ski.co.uk. Um, When's the we next do- one? Well, we've got two trips next year. We're doing Team in January, and we're doing Aspen in March. Um, so we we have uh, uh, there's there's not many places left for Team, but that we do have the option of taking the the um, chalet next door. Uh, but it's, my point is it's a really good trip because people, you know, all of that travel time, all of that time on chairlifts of the sneaky beers <laughs> or, or, um, or van show you have, uh, you know, in between runs, you know, yeah, it's yeah. those experiences that it's, that's the bits where people bond and then take that to another level. I'm, I'm a huge fan of uh, masterminding. Are you part of a mastermind, Chris? No. Have you heard of it as a concept?
0: Uh, I would like it elaborated. I have, but I wouldn't be able to recite it to you.
1: Okay. So the, I first was ent- uh, introduced to masterminds when I was uh, probably about 18, 19 years old. And I was, it was Christmas, it was Christmas Eve. I was in a pub in Wiltshire. Um, and I was just stood with one of my best mates and his dad. And his dad's a you know, millionaire business owner. And, um, you know, we were doing all of our kind of young spouting, spouting shit as young people <laughs> do, uh, as as I did anyway. Um, and He said, well, if you're really ambitious, Warren, he said, you'll, um, you know, it's a book I recommend. And it was um, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And he said, I could lend you my copy, but if you're hungry enough, you'll go and buy your own. And of course, you know, uh, wanting to be seen as hungry, I had, I think I had it by Boxing Day. Um, But there was a chapter in there around masterminding, which I thought, oh, this is really, uh, really uh, powerful, impressive. And it's the simple concept of bringing some really good people together uh, on a fairly regular basis that could be monthly or every two months and actually being that kind of sounding board for each other, being the, you know, like the board of directors for each other. Uh, So, um, you know, it's the, if you've got an idea where your incubator, if you've got an issue, you're dealing with a colleague at work, a fellow director, a member of staff, whatever, or even, even at home, they're your critical feedback. They listen, and, and you know will come in with a different perspective. Okay. Um, if you're creating creating commercial opportunities, they may be JV partners potentially, um, or they may have the context to make it happen. But it's that sitting down for a period of time with a bunch of people you respect and value their opinion, and being open and honest enough and vulnerable enough to share. And there's two rules to it. One is. Um, Cham house rules so whatever's said in that environment stays in that environment you don't go talking behind each other's back trust is absolutely important for it to work mm-hmm. but the second thing that really happens is accountability so if you're with a bunch of people and you you say well, i'm going to go and do this by next month you don't want to turn up next month having not done it so that accountability means that you get things done now there are organizations out there you can go and spend lots of money on net on masterminding you know um uh, Vistage is one of the bigger ones, um, as the Academy chief execs and loads of others, but, you know, it can cost anything up to a thousand pound a month to be part, part of these groups. And I have paid that much, um, in the past. Um, but actually you can equally go and invite a bunch of people you like to the pub once a month and just have dinner together and have that same conversation. Mm. You know, it doesn't have to cost. I've, I've currently got a, a a really nice mastermind group. It's uh, we've, we've kept it to five for now. Um, but, uh, for me it's an essential part of running a business or building a personal brand you know collaborations and all all sorts of things come out of it but it's a group of people that you really trust to get dynamite advice so that's taking networking to a to a bigger level it's you know don't just see it as a a kind of transactional business breakfast type thing see it about building the the human relationships but then if you can find that kind of core group of people that you really value the opinion of start start meeting them on a more intimate setting and bring your issues to the table
0: yeah when you find when you find someone who can add a little a little bit of value don't don't let them go absolutely get get a, get a hold of them and try and try and to meet them as regularly as possible so we've got P people what's
1: I? P for people I is around image so we've touched on it before but it's um, you know the way we present ourselves uh, it's the way uh, the, the clothes we wear it's the it's the the uh, the way that we dress our profile pages on social media, you know, it astounds me that I still see people who've got profile pictures from 20, 30 years ago and they've lost all their hair since then or, or whatever, whatever the thing is. You know, again, it's got to be authentic. If I turn up on a um, – my wife won't let me go on dating sites, but um, if I was to turn up on a dating site and somebody turns up and their picture's 20 years out of out of date – what does that tell me from a trust point of view? Yeah, You know, it means that they, they hide. you know, and the same is true in business. You know, um, if you, if you, uh, if, if you try and portray an image that's not you, um, it, Actually, immediately makes people more skeptical of you. Anyway, so Im- images about all of those things. It's consideration to the language that we use, the, the words that we use on our copy on our websites, on our business cards, on our sales literature, on our email marketing, our newsletters, etc. Images around the, the kind of values that we want to portray. Um, communication is the C, and that's around how we, you know, how we have conversations again, both uh, both written and, and our language face to face. Um, and for me, a big key part of that is being consistent. You know, I see people on social media, for example, safely behind a monitor and a keyboard in another county hmm. say things that they wouldn't dream of saying if they were staring into the whites of somebody's eyes. Agreed. Um, and again, I think it's really important to to be consistent and just have that filter that says, would I say this if I was staring <laughs> into their eyes right now? If I wouldn't, then don't write it. You know, little things like that.
0: That's a lovely a lovely rule of thumb that I wish most of the internet would listen to. <laughs>
1: unfortunately they won't make me god of the internet so i can't do anything we about can only that. hope <laughs> god help the world yeah. um k is around knowledge and that's a simple thing around demonstrating expertise um you know so if we were if we were uh, looking to breed trust with somebody we want to they, they want to know that we know what we're talking about so how do we demonstrate our, our expertise how do we how do we share our knowledge how do we leverage all of those um all of the principles that we've talked about today um and you Again, there's multiple channels open to us, but I really encourage people to get out of their comfort zones and stand up and public speak. Uh, if if it's if it's in you, if you think it's possibly in you, if, you know, standing up and actually speaking to your peers is one of the most powerful ways to breed authority. And then, and then lastly, we've touched on it already is the why, which is around the values that we 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 hold. And in the book, I explore a load of values which um which I I identified in the people that have influenced me um and again just in the in in, in the interest of modeling uh, having identified them I, I gave them great thought and thought you know how can i start to adopt these values um how can i how can i certainly demonstrate those values um, so really simple you know if, if you break down everything that we've said there's nothing that isn't common sense in there um but unfortunately common sense isn't common practice
0: no it's not it's um I don't know why. I don't know why people get flustered, I guess, I want to say, especially face-to-face, but also online. People have a tendency to not put themselves across in the best way and the remembered self from the situation that, oh, I could have said that, oh, I should have said this. It's it's not due to a lack of cognitive ability. It's not that they're not quick enough face-to-face or online to be able to get this information out, there just seems to be, is it nervousness? Is it it a lack of experience or a lack of um, preparedness to be truthful or vulnerable online? I'm not really too sure. I don't know if if you have a common stumbling blocks that people have that are are fundamental to them not eliciting the best influence that they can.
1: Well, I think you you hit on a couple there. Um, Certainly they get in their own way uh is is what i would i would say if you've come into a room and your mind you know for example a networking room and uh your mind's on other things you know the three jobs that you should have done on your to-do list that didn't get done the the fact you've you know uh you don't feel a million dollars you haven't a chance to do your makeup or you know maybe you're not wearing what you wanted to wear but you, you're nervous about how you're going to come across because of the baggage you carry around about how people portray you. If you come in with all of that baggage, uh, and it well, any of it, you're not making your best first impression. You really have to leave the world at the door in, when in any kind of relationship, leave the world at the door and, and just focus on the conversation from conversations come opportunities.
0: That's a lovely way to put it. So I think we've got through a really nice model of, how people can improve their ability to influence going from understanding their, why understanding their audience, understanding the mediums and the medias that they can contact them through the credibility through association, the face-to-face, the online approaches that people can use. And you've given us some really lovely examples. Are there any other points that you think people need to hear before we round this conversation off?
1: So uh, the, there's only a couple of um, uh, maybe uh, quotes which will just provoke a bit of thought. And this, because you know, ultimately, actually, you've, you've summarized building personal brand, etc. Um, actually, I think the kind of key messages, if I was to summarize the conversation we've just had, Chris, is first of all, we we discuss the world as changing, so become that student of change. Um, second of all, we talked about becoming a student of people, so that's understanding them, um, understand their context, their their communication preferences their personality traits yeah, be that student of people and that includes being a student of yourself uh, we talked about listening as one of the most effective tools when it comes to influencing because it gives you context but it also makes you liked um, then connecting on a human level it's not all about business you know give a bit of yourself that's what people hearts and minds are, are what people connect to demonstrate your values tell your stories i think that's uh I think that's uh, enough for anybody listening to this to be able to do something meaningful. If you
0: stick to those, you won't go too far wrong, right?
1: <laughs> I can't. I can't see how you can. Um, uh, but you know, all of this, as I say, there's a number of quotes. But um, uh, the key to successful leadership today is influence, not authority. It's Ken, Ken Blanchard. That's one that's on my website. Um, your circle of influence dictates your path uh example is not the main thing when it comes to influencing others it's the only thing you know all of these uh, all of these are um th- hopefully things that anybody listening to this will just understand that uh whatever their objectives in life a uh, happier marriage a better relationship with their kids stronger friendships uh more cordial working environments with colleagues more clients when it comes to sales and marketing It's all about influencing. And the better they are at these things, the more effective they'll be in all of those areas of their life. We are hugely empathetic creatures. You know, they've even done research where they've had people, um, uh, two people in fMRI scans, one listening, one talking. They couldn't see each other you know, and in an instant, their brainwaves start to synchronize, um, you know, to the point where it's almost predictive from the listener. That's how empathetic we are. We want to connect with others. So just use that, use all of those things um, to build connection and be human. Remember what I said earlier on, in an age of uh, AI and automation and robotization, it's important to stay human.
0: Fantastic. I've absolutely loved today, Warren. I'm glad it's been a, it's been a long time coming for me to get you on. I'm really, really glad that I have done. So obviously the link to influence the book will be in the show notes. Are there superstar. Are there any other resources, either yours or anyone else's books or online blogs, or um, where do you go or where would you advise people who want to further their knowledge into this field? Where, where should they look?
1: Well, of course, the Modern Wisdom podcast is a, a good starting point for anybody listening, and uh, and like everything else, it's important to share it so you get the audience you deserve. So. Agreed. Um, same is true for the book. If you like the book, if anybody reads it and likes it, give us a shout out. I'd love to hear what, what nuggets you took from it on social media. In fact, that's how we connected, Chris. Exactly. It's, it's lovely when it happens. So if people do read it, on, on my website there's a, a strategy guide, which is basically a, a PDF. You see at the end of every chapter in the book, I ask a couple of questions um, to help people contextualise what I've just said and relate it to their own circumstances. Well, yep, on the, I've, filled, on the,
0: I've filled mine in. Mine is… Yeah, uh,
1: superb. Superb. Well, do you you know why that's music to my ears? Because, you know, what I said to you earlier on um, about ego versus uh, affecting change or inspiring change in others. Uh, When people actually write something down, that builds intention. Um, It means that they're going to go and implement something. If they implement something, they're only going to have some sort of positive effect that comes off the back of it. So I love the messages I get on social media from people that say, right, this particular point has resulted in. This or you know, I improve relationship here. Couldn't
0: know. agree more. I've just, uh, I've just finished a podcast with Doctor uh, Ewan Lawson, and during that we discussed gratitude journaling and exactly the same thing. There, it's writing down an intention. It's one of the reasons that I love the podcasting platform because it forces me under duress of a very very skeptical audience sometimes to crystallise my thoughts into a way that. Has to be both truthful and be, uh, make sense. A lot of the time, when it's just thoughts floating around in your mind, they're they're these unhewn sort of globules of of idea. And then, as soon as you have to verbalize it or write it down, it 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 takes form uh, in a very very different way. And I think that you can start to you can start to be very rigorous at assessing your own stance on things that you might have previously taken um, for granted or not really understood, and then when you when you do get to writing things down, so I, I couldn't agree more so we've got influence we've got the partner um uh, worksheet that you can download on your website, which will also be in the show notes. Is there anything else that people should be reading
1: so uh, in terms of other books is a, there's yep. a load out there um I'm a fan of Daniel Priestley um go and have a look at some of his work um Entre- Entre- entrepreneur revolution um is a good one um uh have a look at cialdini's follow-up book to um uh to psychology persuasion uh, which is called persuasion persuasion uh, def- seems to yeah. be
0: pretty heavily touted at the moment it's one that i haven't read but it's uh if you if you'd given it your i'd said to myself if you gave it your seal of appro- <clears throat> approval during this podcast that i would go and get it so i think that's just uh Locked in my next Audible credit usage, I think.
1: Oh, there you go. No, well, that's that's a good use for it. Um, Chaldean is comes from a very strong academic background um, with his with his work, but uh, but now it's a good book. Um, and a lot of the books that I've really valued over the years um, aren't, aren't necessarily sort of mainstream now. I, I I loved one called Richest Man in Babylon, which is uh, which is uh, which is a story around actually what what building a business or what building wealth um, actually actually looks like, um, but it's told in an old tongue kind of story. Very good. Um, you know, bearing in mind, the biggest thing that we talked about today was um, at, at the beginning was around change. Go and go and read um, Who Moved My Cheese, you know, a simple book that can be read in an hour, uh, but just tells this tells the story of um, a, a mice and men and illustrates why it's actually important to be constantly moving and, and not wedded to your current situation, your current circumstances, everything's changing around you, you need to change with it. So there there are a couple of books I absolutely recommend.
0: Fantastic. Uh, Warren, where can the listeners find you online?
1: At Warrencass or Warrencass.com.
0: Fantastic. Well it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm uh, I'm very, very glad that we got to delve into the world of influence. Um the the book is currently about two about a quarter of the way through. I think my third read through now. And it's um, it's definitely such an applicable subject field that, as you say, it, it, the um, applications of it go from professional to personal to absolutely everything. And I, I think that being a student of people, as you've said, is um, is something that we all probably can endeavour to to try and do a little bit more and we'll reap some benefits from as we do
1: i'm thrilled you've got so much from it chris and i really appreciate the invitation to come and speak on the podcast and i look forward to the certainly look forward to the up and coming next uh, episode of the gratitude journal uh, that sounds that sounds fascinating
0: thank you very much warren thank you for your time take care buddy thanks a lot cheers bye